The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. Well, we've been talking about it here on 630 Ched uh, throughout that day. Throughout the day, it was a day that uh, many of us haven't forgotten. And likely if you were living here in Alberta when it happened, you remember where you heard about it, where you were. Fifteen years ago, tragedy struck the Alberta RCMP as the worst mass police shooting in our country's history took place outside of Mayorthorpe. Constables Leo Johnson, Anthony Gordon, Brock Myrall, and Peter Sheeman lost their lives after being ambushed during an investigation into a grow-op. Edmonton Journal reporter and columnist David Staples covered the shooting extensively when it happened and in the years that followed. He joins us now. Hi, David. Hi there. All right. Thanks for joining me this afternoon. And, you know, I sat there this morning and I remembered, you know, as we were talking, you know, I was thinking about stuff that I wanted on the show today. And I remembered, you know, all of the work that you had done um, in the days after and in the years after on this case. I mean, it consumed a lot of your time for a lot of years. What are your thoughts on, on this anniversary? It is such a sad day. And I've just been going over and reading some of this stuff again and it's just it's just such an unbearably sad sad story um with you know thinking of the four dead officers and their families and and the loss that they experienced and um to to some extent as well to the families of hennessy and cheeseman the two young men who were later convicted of helping roscoe uh which i think um and this this is a hard thing to, to raise because it, and it does nothing to take away like I, it's kind of unrelated to just the terrible tragedy of the four officers dying. But I, I do think that there was um, uh, a bit of an injustice or a major injustice done in terms of prosecuting these two young men. And I became convinced of that covering this case. Um, you, you know, initially being completely convinced of their guilt through the trial. But um, from a lengthy investigation afterwards, including the and to be Mr. Big investigation, yeah. um, I just think that the one huge villain here is Roscoe, who is both a psychopath, a vicious psychopath, but also a vicious sexual predator. And um, Tennessee and Cheeseman got caught up in that web of his. This was a man, Roscoe, who was constantly he was he was a. Um, uh, homosexual who who kept that part of his life secret and you know he was already a warp and twisted man but he would recruit young men in that area um, give them marijuana booze he'd fix their trucks he'd give them jobs he would get them under his get them on his farm get them under his spell and terrible things would happen to these young men and um, you know we don't know exactly what happened between um, uh, in, in this case, yeah, you know, there's it's not exact, it's not completely clear. No, but um, that seems to be Roscoe's main connection between Cheeseman um, and uh, Roscoe, and there was something going on there. Certainly, Roscoe was stalking Cheeseman, and I think that the RCMP investigation they focused so much on you know Hennessy being in the marijuana business with Roscoe that they kind of overlooked the main connection between these two young men and Jim Roscoe, and, it, and I think it, it, it uh, misled them and, and led to um, a misunderstanding about what went on here. 
David, I, I wanted to get to um, that part of of this, and and I know it's 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 a difficult one today because on this anniversary, a lot of people are are thinking about those those four police officers, and you know, not necessarily wanting to go there, but there were. Um, there are others, um, including you, that believe um, that um, other two men in particular in their family, their lives were ruined as well because of James Roscoe. There's no doubt about it. Jim Roscoe, I mean, he ruined most, you know, by far his main victims were those four officers. And, mm-hmm. and I think often about them and their families and and you know i've covered i covered major crimes violent crimes for for 20 years and there's only two cases that i saw in that 20 year old time that had kind of this impact on on the world and that's in, in you know our part of the world that was the uh nine miners who were killed in yellow knife yep. in 1992 and this case in um in uh, 2005 and the, the the thing that they had in in common was that they were there was greater social implications. The the, the 1992 thing came during a very violent strike where one miner killed nine other miners, and it and it spoke to kind of the breakdown of Canadian law in our acrimonious labor negotiations. And and this one, it's it's kind of a tale of of the the difficulty that our justice system has dealing with psychopathic people. Um, and highly manipulative people, and also just the kind of you know it's it's a it's a it's a bit of a story about being uh, homosexual and being in the closet, and just the shame around that in small town Alberta and Alberta, you know the incredible secrecy around Roscoe's relationships with his coercion, his violent coercion of these young men is still not really fully known. It was reported at length in the time, a number of cases, a number of reports. But we don't know exactly how many victims he had mm. and, you know, what they're living with. So, yeah, my thoughts do go out to those those young men. Do you still have questions about this case, David? What are they? Well, we, we just don't really know exactly what happened between Roscoe and Dennis Cheeseman. And Dennis, you know, I... Re- reached out to him many times to talk he doesn't want to and i respect that in the end so um he has every right i mean he's paid his he went to jail he's he's done his time he doesn't have to talk about this anymore if he doesn't want to no so there's just lots of questions about why those two young men still why did they help roscoe um that night you know why when he came to them when he fled the farm that night because they were scared you know why well they that's it you know he had he was a violent man with weapons and very determined so it's still not completely known and we're we're never going to agree i don't think on what did hennessy know that night when he helped roscoe what did cheeseman know Mm. what what did roscoe have over both of these guys at that time and um why did they help and um you know, there's also questions that, you know, there was this huge Mr. Big sting involving Dennis Cheeseman. And people don't know what that means. It's a, it's where a, after a crime is committed and the police have a suspect, they try to recruit that suspect into kind of a, they, they have all these officers posing as, um, as criminals in a big criminal organization. And they 
try to recruit the young person, in this case, Cheeseman, into that criminal organization. And they woo him with, um, you know, uh, hints of romance. Uh, they take him to bars. They take him on trips. They, you know, they talk big. They pay him to do little jobs, illegal jobs, which aren't really illegal. He thinks he's doing something that he's not doing. And they, you know, he, he gradually gets into their confidence. And then he's asked, well, before you join our gang, you have to come clean about everything. Mm. You have to tell us if there's anything that might boomerang back on us. And that's when, um, you know, there was, Cheeseman started to open up a little bit about what happened. But he, in that Mr. Big investigation, he he talked many times about how Roscoe stalked him. Mm. And there was clear signals to me about something really nefarious going on between them that the police never dug into. They were so focused on um, the connection that, you know, Hennessy had been kind of a small-time pot dealer for Roscoe. So focused on that aspect of it, um, which was obviously illegal, that they didn't dig in deeper into the, what, you know, the real, what I see as a real tragedy, you know, the secondary, the other tragedy, I guess, is the best way to frame it, of this whole case, and that's Roscoe's sexual predation on young men. And um, it wasn't investigated in the Mr. Big. They just were focused on, uh, I think they had a little bit of tunnel vision, all, all due respect to the officers involved in that case. Well, and, and I was going to ask you about how you thought the RCMP handled that investigation at the time. And by the sounds of it, say, hey, you know, we did this and we're, 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 we're focused on this, but we weren't going to pay attention to this part of it or didn't want to dive into it. Well, that's what I saw. Like, and, and you know, I, like these officers, I'm sure, had all the best intentions. And we're trying to get this right. Um, they were also, you know, it's also possible for police officers and anyone else, journalists, to have tunnel vision. Yeah. And to think they know the story, the narrative, and to look for facts to confirm that narrative. Mm-hmm. And it's an it's a occupational hazard for anyone who's an investigator. And um, so, so for me to raise this isn't, like, I'm not saying anything nefarious went on here. It's not that that's not, you know, tunnel vision is as normal as can be. And we can all get it. Maybe I have it here. You know, maybe I'm wrong. And but it's that's what I that's what I started to see. And it's the first time. Like I covered cases for for so for for decades, as yeah. I said, and always you know really pro police and I and proud of the police. And, but this time, you know, you know, sometimes I think the police can get it wrong. And this is one of I I have questions about whether they got it right here. Um. Going back to um, looking at how the people of Mayerthorpe, this province, this country uh, came together in the in the days afterwards, as we take a little bit of a turn here, um, what was that like for you to watch unfold? I, like, I remember that memorial service. I was at it. I remember walking up to it and those four big pictures of of the four constables being set up uh, outside and people lined up out the door all the way around the butter dome to be a part of this it it was such a huge outpouring of grief it's just shattering you know like and um people in canada you know we believe in uh, peace order and good government and you know we see the uh, rcmp is kind of the exemplar you know the the poster for that, for that belief, you know, they're, they're at the forefront um, of that ethic. So when they're attacked, we feel like we're all attacked. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I talked to some of the victims' families, met with them, and it was just, it's just, you know, their lives 
are shattered, never the same, and broken. And, you know, I hope that they're that they they're able to find you know that they they're they're able to find some peace um somehow i i'm sure it's very difficult to this day what have you found any peace david it sounds like it's this still weighs incredibly heavy on you um and you're quite emotional still about it yeah yeah (laughs) i think i am yeah Uh, kind of a little bit i haven't talked about it in a long time Hmm. i think that um you know i think that um there was two cases the cordopat lean of cordopat case yeah um that horrific murder um where the teenagers murdered that poor girl and this case that i just had enough i didn't want to cover crime anymore so it's kind of where it left me Hmm. Um, there is a, a public service at the uh, Fallen Four Memorial Park in Mayerthorpe tonight. It starts at 6.30. Have you been out there at all, David? Well, I go by it now and then <laughs> on my travel. You know, Mayerthorpe's a very small yeah. very small place. I'm just trying to think. I, I did drop in at one point to the town. It's just a very small little town, yeah. like a lot of little Alberta towns. And, boy, was that town ever on edge at that time. Oh, um, they were inundated with media people, and it was a very difficult time for everyone involved. And um, for such a small place to endure something like that. Mm-hmm. And you know the 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 um, the detachment trying to to handle it. The PR guy, I mean, Wayne Wayne Oaks. I, re- I remember you know him yeah. trying to you know Wayne trying to 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 deal with all of us asking all the questions. You think of you know Sweeney. You think of Rod Connect, and then you think of the families. You think of those families being overwhelmed at that time, and that grief being put on display um, at that memorial service. That in- and I go back to that memorial service and how incredibly powerful uh it it was it was just um you know we we saw it a couple of years earlier at the memorial service for the um the first four that were killed in afghanistan at um at at rexall place and i and i'd hope that i'd never see anything like it again and there it was again at the butter dome how did it, I mean, I wasn't at that service. How did it hit you, Jalen? It seems like it made a big impact on you. Yeah, you know what it it did. I actually I went to that service with one of the widows of the of the first four that were killed in Afghanistan. She yep. um, she wanted to go, and and we had become friends in the days afterwards, and she had wanted to go to because the community came out for her and you know her loved ones when when her husband ha- had died, um, but it was just. It was, it was just something else. Just sitting there with everyone, but listening to the family speak and 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 talk about their loved ones with such grace and such poise, and then Susan Glukark singing "Songbird," you know, from Fleetwood Mac. I mean, it was just. I still get goosebumps talking about it. It's it's just one of those stories, and I remember just a year prior to that. You know, February twenty eighth of two thousand and four, Corporal Jim Galloway getting it, it was was killed. Yeah, that case. Right, you remember that case? And yeah, he was killed by that yeah. guy. He was a he had a yeah. hunting rifle, and yeah. he was he had mental problems. Yeah, and so I remembered that. And to me, it was just like almost a year to the day. It was just yeah, there was just a lot there, and I've just you know those the two cases I've just have not forgotten about, and. Um, 
And and I and I hope the families know that you know we're still here and we're still thinking about them. And even 15 years later, we're wrapping our arms around them in a, in a great big hug. And I hope that they felt that at that time as well. Yeah. You know, you asked me how I dealt with it, and, and yeah. like honestly, I think I've just tried to put it out of my mind. Mm. And I hadn't really thought about it in a long time uh, until you you called it, and I was reading again, and it was just <laughs> starting to hit me. And, and talking about it, I'm kind of surprised. But you know, I'm I'm lucky. And that, like, I was just a reporter on this. I, I, can, I can put it out of my mind. And, and this is the thing. There are people out there who can't with yeah. Roscoe. They're haunt, they will be haunted by him and his horrible actions for the rest of their lives. And he just, it just shows the terrible toll that one evil psychopath can take on all of us. Yeah. And um, the necessity of, in dealing with these people, finding ways to get them behind bars and keep them there. David, uh, thank you for joining me this afternoon. Thank you for sharing your thoughts on 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 this on this anniversary and 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 thanks for the work that you did in the, in the days after and the years after to uh, shed light on on what happened that day. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jalen. All right, David Bye. Staples joining me this afternoon.